Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on our show, I'm pleased to introduce you to Dr. Mark Pitstick. Dr. Mark has over 40 years experience and training in hospitals, pastoral counseling settings, mental health centers, and private practice. His training includes a pre-medical degree, graduate theology and pastoral counseling studies, master's in clinical psychology, and doctorate in chiropractic healthcare. He has also provided suicide prevention counseling and education to many people. Dr. Pitstick is the author of three books, including Soul Proof, Compelling Evidence That No One Really Dies, Radiant Wellness, and his latest book is called The Eleven Questions. His work has been endorsed by some of the greats, including Drs. Wayne Dyer, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Deepak Chopra, Bernie Siegel, and he has interviewed extraordinary experts about life, death, and the afterlife, including Anita Morjani, Caroline Mace, and Gary Schwartz. Mark was the executive producer for the documentary film Soul Proof. There is so much more I could tell you about this fabulous man, but I'm going to let him share it in his own words. He's really incredible, and I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Of course, you can find out more about Dr. Mark at his website, soulproof.com, or also radiantwellness.com. And lastly, as always, you can go to wedontdieradio.com, and this episode is episode 103. And I have all the links to what Mark shares in this episode. So without further ado, Dr. Mark Pitstick, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. Glad to be with you. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here. As you can tell by my enthusiasm, we connected first uh, about three years ago via email. And it is wonderful to be able to hear your voice and meet you for the first time over the radio airwaves. Really great. Uh, Mark, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, you're an extraordinary man, and there's much more I wanted to share in your introduction, but uh, maybe just a little bit of your backstory of uh, how you even got involved in this line of work or this passion. Sure. Well, first of all, I don't know how extraordinary I am. If I am, everybody is. Yes, it's just that I've, I focused on this so much. And uh, there's some evidence, Sandra, that I never totally forgot the other side, wherever you want to call it, the spirit world. Uh, when I was six years old, my parents were showing me a beautiful sunset, and I told them it reminded me of God. And <clears throat> we were uh, brought up in a Lutheran church. It was always God, the Father, big guy in the sky image. And they only told me that 20 years later when I was in theology school. So uh, there was really no reason I would have that kind of uh, connection unless, indeed, I remembered at least partially. In my, um, in my childhood, I felt like a stranger in a strange land. I really had, I felt like I was learning how to be a, an earthling. Um, thing, I like football. I've always been a big sports guy, but it just seems so strange to me that we would spend so much time and energy and money on something like the Super Bowl when just a fraction of that could feed homeless and starving people. And uh, so I had a series of clear audience experiences, uh, especially ages 8 through 12, where I would just hear what I came to identify as a, the voice of spirit and teaching me uh, about things that um, the church didn't have quite right, you know, things like there's no such thing as a fiery eternal hell and so on. And so um, that certainly energized me. I fell into things like yoga and meditation naturally. I would be throwing a rubber ball against stairs and catching it and realized an hour and a half had passed and it was getting dark out and what happened to the time. And my, yeah, my mind was off in this other dimension. And same with yoga, my family would be watching sitcoms with this canned laughter. And I thought, oh, this would drive you crazy. So 12 years old, I went to the next room and I just started doing stretches and, oh, that feels good and do that. And then years later, I found out they were yoga postures. So um, probably not my first time around the block. <laughs> but when uh, I started working in uh, 
as you mentioned, a pre-med undergrad, and I started working in hospitals part-time when I was 19 as a respiratory therapist and was around lots of death and dying. I mean, every shift I would be with one or more people as they died, always worked in the ER and the ICU, and especially seeing little children go through that really forced me to begin the search then for the evidence. Uh, for all I knew, um, the idea of an afterlife was like the idea of Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny. Um, so I wanted to know one way for the other, mm-hmm. or the other, is there really an afterlife or not, so I could live accordingly. That's great. That was part of my journey as well. And then what did you find? Well, to my great surprise, I found that the evidence is already there and lots of evidence and varied evidence. And that's all spelled out in the the book and the documentary film, Soul Proof. And so I realized that the the mass media is is not going to uh, share about this and that the specialists, in other words, there were doctors who were specialists in near-death experiences, others in after-death contacts, others in perinatal experiences, and so on. Um, but there are only a few of us have really been so <laughs> uh, focused, whatever you want to call the word, to look at all the categories of evidence, and there are 10 or 11 now, and realize, oh, my God, you know, it, it's already proven. As you say, we don't die. Right. And it does take some of us, uh, I don't want to call you a loud mouth, but I am, that brings some of these <laughs> things together and ha- we have the courage to share them. Mm-hmm. Because there are people looking, just like we were looking way back. Uh, Mark, what came first, the movie or the book, Soul Proof? The book. Uh, and then my uh, fiance Andy, who's also a screenwriter, she's an RN, she's worked with lots of children who have died over the years, she looked at the book and said, this is a documentary film. And uh, we spent two years every spare moment. Um, a big article went out in the Columbus, Ohio Dispatch, and hundreds of people came forward who had had paranormal experiences, miracles, NDEs, etc., and so we uh, interviewed a lot of them as well as experts like Ken Ring and Michael Newton and others. Um, so wonderful way for people who like to watch a film rather than read mm-hmm. all the evidence. Yeah, it's definitely great. Uh, some of our listeners today have, have heard the last 102 episodes. Some, this is their very first show. Would you go into a little bit more detail about some of these different categories of evidence and maybe some of the stories that um, really tell you without a doubt life after death is real? Mm-hmm. You bet. Well, i like to start with near-death experiences because most people are familiar with that topic. Uh, there's so many people have been revived now due to uh, medical resuscitative abilities. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is there are literally tens of thousands, and, and that's a documented figure, tens of thousands of verifiable NDEs. And by that, I mean, while the person was clinically dead, their hearts quit beating, their lungs quit breathing, they, their eyes are closed, maybe flat uh, brain EEG, They're in ICU or ER, so there's no way they can see outside occurrences. Yet during that time, their consciousness, awareness, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, hovers above the resuscitation site, sees accurately details. After a while, gets bored, hovers above the hospital, travels around the hospital, sometimes some distance. And upon successful resuscitation, without any chance of talking with family or friends from whom they could have learned that information, tell the doctors and nurses, later university professors, detailed, accurate events that happened while they were, quote, dead. Um, So Ken Ring, our mutual friend, assembled a panel of vision experts, ophthalmologists, and so on, and no one could come up with an alternative uh, explanation for this phenomena unless, indeed, consciousness exists non-locally outside the body. Now, these, you know, if just one of those occur, that's impressive. Tens of thousands is also amazing. Uh, what's even more impressive is that some of these have occurred in blind people, some of whom have been blind from birth. Uh, so that in itself is, is the uh, telling 
point right there that you know, life continues on. I'm just taking a breath, just recalling some of the stories I remember from Ken Ring's book. Um, and they're, they're just extraordinary. They are. And I'm uh, speaking um, in a couple of weeks at the International Association of Near-Death Studies uh, conference in Orlando. And I'll be presenting twice. So there'll be many, many people there. So uh, it's one of the most exciting um, pieces of evidence. And it's also illustrative of, I mean, let's face it, these people almost died. And that's not a good thing. Right. And yet, look at all the blessings that are coming from it. And many of the people who have a near-death experience have a, a spiritually transformative experience. They're not the same. If they're alcoholics, they quit drinking. If they're drug addicts, they quit using. If they're fundamentalist ministers teaching um, hell and brimstone, they start teaching more love and service to others. So it uh, provides a lot of hope for our world. No, oh, definitely. And and the teachings they do, so many I find, well, all of them I find, have made their life about making a difference for other people and serving. They have. The, um, the second category that I like to talk about are after-death contacts. And has anybody shared much about that lately on the show? Not lately. Okay. So um, for those who aren't familiar with the topic, after-death contacts being uh, some sort of apprehension, perception of departed loved ones that can occur with the usual senses. Sometimes people see them solidly or more gauzily. Uh, sometimes they hear their voice, smell a um, perfume or cologne they strongly associate with a person or cigar uh, smell. Or sometimes more ethereal senses. They have a knowing the person's there. They receive a telepathic communication. And very commonly, after-death contacts occur in dreams since the analytical mind is more quiet and the uh, person in the non-physical realm can more easily make a visit. There's more of a match in their wavelengths. Uh, so there have been a number of what we call evidential ADCs, meaning some evidence came in so we know that they're more than just wishful thinking or you know an inspiring dream. And with um, very impressive people, for example, Carl Jung had a dream one night uh, that he was talking with his next-door neighbor. They weren't really that close, but th this fellow had passed on uh, some time before. And, and Carl Jung, having done so much dream work, was somewhat lucid during the dream and said, well, how will I know tomorrow that this is more than a dream? And his neighbor said, well, go to my house, ask my wife to let you in my study. Uh, Dr. Young had never been in there before. And on this shelf and this column is this book, this color by this name. And Young did as instructed the next day, and there was everything just as he was told. Um, there had been other evidential uh, ADCs while awake, again by big names, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Uh, was uh, at the University of Chicago at that time as a psychiatrist, and she walked down the hall and saw a woman who looked very familiar, and a few steps later realized, oh, my God, that's Mary who died six months ago. So Dr. Ross turned around and said, Mary, is that you? And the woman said yes, and uh, Dr. Ross invited her into her office. They talked for a while. And Elizabeth had enough wherewithal to realize that it would be nice if she could get some corroborating evidence. So she asked the woman if she would write a note to the minister who had also worked with them uh, as this woman was dying. She did, and later expert handwriting showed an exact match with the woman's handwriting from before. So we know for a fact that uh, this is one way that we can perceive our, perceive our loved ones. And I'll just share one more um, that I personally know of, a dear yes. friend of mine, Dottie Aislinn, who just turned 90 years old. She and her husband, Joe, started what's called Sand, Sea, and Spirit, and had this for years down in Alabama, Gulf Shores. Hundreds and hundreds of people would come to their holistic and spiritual retreats. Well, a couple of years ago, Joe was uh, facing death, and uh, he finished their taxes. This is in December. And because he wanted everything to be done. He said, Dottie, uh, everything's on TurboTax. 
So if I am, if I have passed by the time taxes are due in April, all you have to do is enter this code and it'll print everything out you need. Well, he did pass shortly after that. And a few months later, time to deal with taxes. And with all the upheaval, she had no idea where the code was. So she just said a little prayer and went to bed. And uh, the next morning got up and saw her phone, which was turned off, nonetheless had on the face of it <clears throat> from Joe Aislin, the TurboTax code is, and a series of numbers and letters. She had a feeling that that message wouldn't last long, and so she entered them to the uh, computer quickly, and indeed everything opened up. When she went back to her phone, there was no evidence of that ever happening, no evidence of that uh, contact recorded anywhere. So oh what gosh. are you going to do with that? Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. That reminds me of one of the race car drivers that I work with. My day job is catering for race car teams. He mm-hmm. he didn't believe in life after death. And after his dad had passed away, he had a complete stranger approach him who claimed to be a medium and said, your dad is trying to get through. He has gold hidden behind a brick in the fireplace. Mm-hmm. And you need to know that it's there. And he was like... Well, I can't be real. And of course, he went back home and he found a loose brick and behind it, there were gold pieces. Yes. So all great evidence. Oh, you gave me goosebumps. <laughs> well, there's so many. And of mm-hmm. course, your, uh, your regular listeners are familiar with Bill, Guggen- Bill and Judy Guggenheim's book, Hello from Heaven. So 350 some after death contacts, some of which are evidential, others of which are shared. That is more than one person at a time had the same experience. So... Yes, how exciting that there, this is no longer a, a question. When I interviewed uh, uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz in my show, uh, Ask the Soul Doctors, he said, um, you probably know about Gary's research at University of Arizona, the, the most scientific research done today. He yes. said the, the word death is no longer appropriate. And so that's what we need to realize and to change our language across the board and that helps us realize this good news. And Jesus and others tried to teach it, uh, but things got changed over the millennia. Um, the great news that we're one with God right now, we don't really die. Death, where is thy victory? Grave, where is thy sting? And then let's let our light shine. Let's, let's enjoy this. Let's love one another. Follow the golden rule. It's so simple. And a big key to us doing that on a personal and global scale is really internalizing this evidence, really knowing. Right. Absolutely. You just mentioned your show, Ask the Soul Doctors. Um, I I can already tell, Mark, in this episode that I want to dig much deeper than the uh, hour we have together is going to allow. Can you share a little bit about your show? Because I know myself and some of um, the listeners, too, that's something we'd love to hear about. I do know about Dr. Gary Schwartz, but I do want to hear more. And I know you've interviewed some pretty neat yeah. people. Yeah, well, I'm actually not doing now. I've gotten so busy with other projects, as you probably experienced. I know, but you have some recorded for us to listen to. Yes, yes. In fact, uh, I did a year's worth just once a month, and you named some of the names. Um, Bernie Siegels, Dan Groff, Raymond Moody, Carolyn Mace, just the, the top names in consciousness research I could find. And so, yes, there uh, you can people can listen to them for free on the soulproof.com website. Also, they can download. And then the um, book is also, then those are also available in the book called The 11 Questions, which are transcripts of my answers and the guest answers to the 11 most commonly asked questions about life, death, and afterlife. Um, and then it's also available as an ebook. Mm. So what a wonderful thing to have uh, the answers from people uh, about these questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Why am I after I die? Is there a God? If so, why is there so much suffering, etc.? Would you care to answer a few of those questions from what you've <laughs> gathered? I mean, we sure. could go on for hours, but, uh, you know, it's great to believe in life after death. It is because we've most of us at this age have lost a loved one and we ourselves want to know that we go on after our physical body is no longer here but that 
brings into a huge question, you know, why am I here? Who am I? What is this all about? And it sounds like many of those 11 questions deal with those things. And do you have any um, common threads that have come through about what our life is about? Well, so uh, the one you'd like to hear more about is why are we here? Um, In other words, sure, pick, pick your tough, give me your yeah. toughest question. Uh, my toughest question is, why is there so much suffering? That's yeah. my toughest question. Sure. After witnessing my dad suffer, uh, dying from cancer, and it was brutal to witness. <laughs> That's my t- yeah. my toughest question. Sure. Well, let's deal with that one. Okay. So there's a few possibilities with that. And first of all, your dad's name? John Champlain. John. Okay. So first of all, people don't like to think about this, but, you know, um, our planet has been a pretty violent place over the millennia, and somebody was doing all that killing and torturing and, and so on. So uh, sometimes souls choose suffering for karmic reasons. That is, they've inflicted pain and suffering on others, so they want to experience it firsthand, so they know without a doubt that's nothing a person should ever do and they, and they won't do again. I'm sure your dad wasn't like that, but I just throw out that possibility. The second reason is, you know, Buddha was asked the question, why is your suffering? He said, simple, for growth and for service. And so more evolved souls, uh, intermediate and advanced souls, will choose suffering uh, for those reasons. They can grow more, that is, grow more in the awareness that they are part of God. And then also to provide service. Um, For example, if there was no one who was ill, how could souls who want to become healers practice helping somebody? (laughs) You need sick people, Um, number one. Number two, when a person goes through something like this, in other words, obviously it contributed to your awakening. So your dad's suffering could have been a spiritual gift because it made you just like um, seeing the children die for me in hospitals, it made you search for meaningful answers, evidence-based answers, and now you're blessing all these people with your podcast and book and other things you do. So the soul, humans want things safe, easy, secure, and comfortable. Souls care nothing about that. They know that they're forever beings. They know that the time on earth is truly a blink of an eye in the span of eternity. They know they're one with the one, part of source energy now and always. They know that their real self cannot be destroyed, cannot be hurt. So are they willing to come down and suffer for truly a blink of an eye if it provides growth and service? Of course. So when I do um, shows and talk to people about this, I say, would you be willing to hang by your thumbs for a minute if it saved the life of a child, most people say, sure. How about for an hour if it saved the lives of 100 children? Of course, you know, I'd do it till my thumbs pulled off. Well, that's the way souls look at it. So that's what we need to do is to look through our spiritual eyes, just not through our physical. Now, a few other angles on that. <clears throat> I've, uh, I've worked with people now for 44 years. Um, tens and tens of thousands of people. So I've worked directly with lots of people who have been shot, stabbed, strangled, uh, fallen off up to six stories high, etc. Without exception, all of them say, and so I always ask them, what'd that feel like? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> when, do you, when do you get the chance? Uh, they say it just felt like a punch. Boom, like somebody just punched them, and after that they didn't feel anything. So... The uh, there's good evidence that the soul starts disengaging from the body when there's chronic pain, when it sees that uh, it's going to end up in physical death. And so even though the body and the voice might be going moaning, oh, you know, and oh, he's in pain so much. No, the 99.999% of who he really is, soul, consciousness, energy, spirit, is hovering around looking at it from above saying, well, that was a nice body, but I don't need it anymore. And sending messages to loved ones like you saying, don't take this too seriously. You know, don't buy into it. You know, don't you remember? Don't you see? So what? Uh, having said that, what other questions do you have about it? Wow, you just filled my eyes with tears with that, just recalling 
my dad's final moments. And um, Mark, I have to say, without the suffering, the way he pass or transition, whatever we may call it. Um, it's true. I would have never written my book, would have never brought forth um, the podcast. And I can't even tell you the countless emails that I've gotten about people's healing, um, moving through grief. You know, it's prevented many suicides. And yeah, it, was it worth dad hanging from his thumbs for those few minutes for this to be now possible in the world and I would have to say knowing my dad that absolutely he was somebody who gave to to make a difference for other people yep. so wow I don't, yeah. I don't know what his... I want to ask you next go ahead keep keep sharing <laughs> yeah that, that was his giveaway uh, I've learned so much over the years from Native American friends and teachers and uh, they recognized that every soul had a giveaway and that was why it came here. And so it sounds like that was one of your dad's giveaways. Yeah. And and no doubt he's still around. I have spoken to enough mediums on this show that after it, they're all over and we're talking about how the interview went and, you know, they'll either bring up his name or, you know, that he's a integral part of every everything I'm up to. So it's, it's great. It's great. Yes. And what a wonderful yeah. way to live life too, that uh, I, I picked up a mantra just this past month. I am not a victim, and I picked the situation for my soul to grow. And mm-hmm. when times get tough, I just insert that, and it, whether true or not, it, it gives me a different perspective to not be a victim and to be empowered and to look as to where I may be learning. Yeah, it's true. I, um, I sat with Evan Alexander and Raymond Moody uh, last year at an afterlife conference, and ask them that same question. You know, is there good evidence that we as souls choose uh, the, the challenging times, the, quote, sad and bad times? And they said, sure, without a doubt. Evan said, now, not everyone who has a near-death experience will come back saying that, but certainly those who have uh, what's called a primordial or a deeper NDE will see that clearly. And um, one of the most exciting books I've read recently was by Rob Schwartz, uh, your soul's purpose. Yes. And so you're familiar with that. Yeah. yeah. So, so we had three different mediums read for the same person. Uh, people who were paralyzed from the neck down, blind, um, blinded in a, a bomb explosion, um, had children who were addicted and so on. And each one of them came up with amazing correlation of the same uh, reasons that this was pre-planned and why. So I find this to be especially helpful in my work with bereaved parents. I'm on the board of a group called Helping Parents Heal. And the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, website for that is helpingparentsheal.info uh, because, you know, that that's the toughest. And uh, every day I get emails from bereaved parents, usually mothers from around the world, and, you know, asking the tough questions. But every once in a while I get one that, inspires me and, and most recently uh, a woman I'll call Rhonda and she said uh, uh, the year since my son Perry died has been the toughest year of my life however at the same time it has been the most growth producing and now I'm helping people in ways I never would have been able to if it hadn't been for his death so that's that's the big picture we need to remember and the more we do, the more we're free. We're free from fear. And then that's when we can live with, with joy, no matter what's going on around us. And many people have done it, which means it's possible for all of us. Uh, can you speak more about being free from fear? Yeah, fear is, uh, you know, it's been said that there are only two major emotions, love and fear. Mm-hmm. And so many people are stuck in fear. So they're afraid of getting older. They're afraid of dying. They're afraid their kids grow up. They're afraid something's going to happen to their kids. Uh, so they're living in a veritable hell. Um, you know, and, and just real quickly, the original Aramaic meanings of the word heaven and hell never meant places, one way up in the sky and one at the core of the earth. They meant your degree of awareness that you are one with the one, your degree of awareness that you're a forever being. And so when a person's not aware of that, 
then they're afraid, obviously. You know, they, they watch the news and they internalize that and they just live in this lower energy emotion life, which is a hellish a level of living. Fear, guilt, shame, uh, bitterness, anger, etc. And so when we when we start that tipping point toward higher energy emotions, gratitude, love, peace, joy, uh, that's when we experience life as being more and more like heaven, even in the midst of dying. You know, even the, I've talked with uh, I. Um, had a dear friend who's passed, Geraldine McMurray, and um, she was an African-American woman, a unity minister, and her story is that when she was 15, she was raped uh, by an uncle, and so this is in the 1930s, and, uh, you know, they didn't believe kids back then, as they still do sometimes now, and uh, so nobody believed her, and so the raping continued, and she eventually got pregnant. So then her family kicked her out of the house. So here she is, 15, penniless, homeless, and pregnant, African-American at a time when there was even more racism. Wow. And, you know, pretty horrible. And most people looking at that would say, what kind of God would allow that? Or is there even a God to allow that? Oh, my God, that's horrible. She said, nope. Uh, she was speaking 60 years later at age 75. She said, if I could go back and change that, I wouldn't, because that gave me such strength of spirit and allowed me to help all these people I've helped, and I never would have been able to at that level if I hadn't gone through that, that difficulty and, and realized how strong I am and who I am. So that's that's the message, and it gets replayed uh, many times, and I never get tired of hearing it because it's just a... It's it's like an adventure story, and I think that's why we like movies and books and so on with heroes and heroines that things look hopeless and then they break through because that's our story, as Joseph Campbell taught so well. That's why we as souls come here, to remember who we are, to share our light, and so on. So it's, life is really a wonderful journey as we awaken. So my question is very often we have this negative voice in our head and we have fear and we have worry and we have all these self-doubts. Is there a purpose for that? Uh, it's very often the skeptical voice as well. What purpose does all that play in our humanity? Mm. That's a great question, first of all. And I think the purpose is it provides contrast because as you know, if you're feeling doubt, if you're feeling afraid and so on, doesn't feel very good. And after a while, it's natural for us to say, well, you know, I'd like to uh, feel better. Uh, Esther Hicks, Esther and Jerry Hicks have been so helpful in this regard. And my favorite takeaway phrase is always reach for the highest feeling thought. Uh, so for example, at one point I lost almost all my savings uh, in the tech crash in 2000. And it's pretty devastating the way it affects your life and so on. Um, and at some point, it's like, oh, my gosh, I can see why people would jump off high buildings over this. And then eventually, I um, transformed that to this was a blessing. Probably, I'm sure my soul chose it because this has been my loss. That I'm not saying it's like a child dying, but, you know, that was a tough one. And so now, and, and I've had plenty of others, and we all do. So now when people have had a, a loved one die by suicide or they're dying or they find out they have cancer or whatever the case, I go, ah, oh, you know, loss, difficulty, challenge. Yeah, I know that one. So I, I think that's the, the biggest blessing is it helps us develop compassion and empathy. The, uh, you've seen statues of the Buddha with the little smile, and that's been called the smile of <clears throat> unbearable compassion. And so uh, our humanness is sad and it reaches out for others and is sad about our own suffering. And yet the part of us that's enlightened smiles because we know it's a relative illusion. As we discussed earlier, it's, it's only for a few seconds. And in fact, really it's not even happening. This, this is one thing that helps people uh, uh, deal with life here a little better. And that is that, only on average about 30% of our soul's energy incarnates in this time and place. The rest of it is elsewhere. 
um, maybe manifested in a pet a, or an animal, um, a tree in, in another uh, parallel reality. And s- some of it never leaves home base, never leaves the really real place, heaven home. And so that helps people uh, feel a little less grimly about uh, whatever they're in and realize, okay, you know, this, that, that makes it even better. Not only is it only a blink of an eye, but only a really small part of who I am is even here doing this. I have never heard this before. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I, I'm like, what is he talking about? Yeah, the, my first uh, awareness came from looking at Native American art, and you've probably seen profiles of a brave usually, and then right above his head, a grizzly bear, and above that, an eagle soaring, above that, a pine tree, and then the moon and stars. And my uh, Native American teachers then explained that that was the, the Native American understanding that they're... Um, they are multiple beings, and life is not as black and white as we think. And then Michael Newton uh, discusses this a good bit, bit in his books, uh, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls, two of the best resources I can uh, share about that. And then, of course, quantum physicists, you know, people like Irvin Laszlo, who, um, <clears throat> well, I'll get back to that in a moment, but people like Irvin Laszlo and others uh, describing that it's all energy, David Bohm. Uh, the well-known physicist, the same thing. He said, you want to know what's reality? It's a, it's a quantum sea. It's a energetic soup. And periodically, there'll be a little wave excitation, a little ripple on the surface. And to those of us who have taken on a limited body and brain, that appears to be a life. Oh, I'm 13. I'm in puberty. You know, oh, I, I have my first love. Oh, I'm 40. I'm getting older. You go through all that melodrama when indeed it was just a little blip in the energy, but it seems like, so real to us. Uh, so this life is very much like a dream. <clears throat> Interestingly, the Buddha uh, described the same way. He said, you, you want to know what life's like? Go down to the ocean and watch the waves breaking. And the ocean is like God. And we each are like drops of water in that ocean. Yet, you know, a small part, but yet integral parts of it. And periodically, uh, we'll get bored just knowing that we're one with the one. We'll get bored just being in God, being part of God. So we'll say, let's have an adventure. Let's pretend that we're separate. Let's pretend that we can die. Let's pretend that it's scary. You know, just kind of like when you're a kid, you like tell ghost stories and kind of scare each other. And so this wave then will crash and the droplet goes up in the air for just a moment. And during that time, that's like a human incarnation. And you go through all the, you know, the melodrama that we go through. And then it drops back down into realizing uh, it's all one. It's all connected. Nothing to fear. I love that. Nothing to fear. Wow. Where should we go next? I don't know, to ask you about past life regression therapy, being a facilitator after death contact technique, your CDs, <laughs> uh, Eternia, where to? Uh, yeah, uh, okay. let's talk about Eternia a little bit. I'm the education director for Eternia. And for those who may not know about it, it's E-T-E-R-N-E-A dot org. It was started by Evan Alexander, and John Audette. Uh, John Audette's been a behind-the-scenes guy. Uh, he started the International Association of Near-Death Studies in 1975, IONS, uh, before Ken Ring took it over. Uh, John introduced uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Raymond Moody. Talk about yes. <laughs> changing history. Uh, he met Raymond when uh, he was still a medical student and encouraged him and helped him to uh, write his first book, Life After Life. So, again, John Audet, A-U-D-E-T-T-E, a behind-the-scenes guy is doing a lot. Well, right now, um, John is working closely with Irvin Laszlo's group. Um, So Irvin Laszlo, considered by many to be one of the brightest minds on the planet, his contemporaries are, I mean, you name it, Gene Houston, Deepak Chopra, the Dalai Lama, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, so very powerful person, 83 years old now, and, and put together the uh, quantum hologram model that 
as we were talking before, it's all energy and all that energy is stored in what he called the Akashic field and it's all accessible. <clears throat> so this is how uh, there can be past lives, future lives, people can visit this, kind of like the Akashic record. Uh, so it's the best assemblage of quantum physicist um, information that indeed nothing ends and everything is accessible. And so if a person wants to call it, use religious terms, it's like there's God and we're souls. And <clears throat> But if you want to look at it uh, scientifically, Here's this repository of energy and information, what it's all about, energy and information. So uh, this website, Eternia.org, is a, a great place to visit for free videos, audios, articles, and so on. <clears throat> um, some of the people involved that, Ken Ring, Raymond Moody. Um, so that's Eternia. And those two groups, Eternia and Laszlo's groups are going to merge. Uh, they're, they're in the process of hammering out the details right now. So this will be an umbrella group then for a lot of the other smaller groups so, uh, so that we can get this word out in a powerful way. And there's some really exciting plans about that. So that's one thing I wanted to share. Um, you, know, you mentioned the CDs. Yeah, first of all, there's lots of free information on my website, soulproof.com. I mentioned the radio shows. Uh, there are 20-some articles. I've created articles. Each one is about four pages long for all the areas of suffering, for the most commonly asked questions I get. Um, what do you do when a loved one dies by suicide? What do you do when a, a child dies, etc.? And so each one of these is holistic. In other words, I, approach, I discuss body, mind, and spirit, things a person can do to get through this and to not only survive, but also, if possible, thrive and use it, as we mentioned, as a spiritually transformative experience, a way to awaken, a way to be shaken up in a way that perhaps wouldn't have occurred otherwise, and then be an even brighter light in the world and, and enjoy more of a heavenly experience and help others do the same. So lots of those free articles. As you mentioned, I've got, uh, I think, nine CDs in addition to the books and the movie. Um, so that people can vary inexpensively, $10 if you download, 15 for a CD. And, and this is me doing uh, the hypnosis, past life regression. Um, one's called Ask Your Soul Technique, another facilitated after-death contact so people can um, greatly increase their chances of communicating with their departed loved ones. Uh, there's transformational breath work. So what I consider the most powerful tools that help a person uh, no matter what they're wrestling with and have a, a breakthrough instead of a breakdown. Wow. Mark, you are extraordinary. <laughs> this is all so great about helping us live life powerfully now. Really great. Yeah. Well, thank thank you. you. What brings you the most passion these days? <clears throat> Working with, um, large groups and seeing people changed. Uh, I had the chance uh, a few weeks ago to speak to 300 people at a time. Uh, uh, and these were uh, unity churches. So uh, I recommend and love unity so much. Uh, people are enlightened, open-minded, intelligent, and so on. And, and just to see people's faces and, uh, you know, go from the tears to smiling uh, working with groups. I, I don't do one-on-one -on -one sessions anymore because I just can't get the impact I want. But uh, we did, um, for example, in Cincinnati, worked, we had 50 people doing the facilitated after-death contact, uh, 45 in Florida. I'll be doing uh, at the uh, conference in two weeks. I'll be doing what's called a life review technique. Uh, Ken Waring, when I interviewed him years and years ago, shared with me his research that uh, the life review was one of the most transformative parts of the near-death experience, and it turns out you don't have to nearly die to have a life review. It can be done under deep hypnosis uh, relaxation, and so we'll be doing a large group with that there. So uh, that's what gives me the most joy right now is helping large groups of people, especially those in pain, and helping them make a breakthrough because uh, the, one of the sayings in helping parents heal is that 
when a child passes, you can either become bitter or better. And when a person, just like my friend Geraldine, has gone through that much adversity, but then comes through it, they're, they're a veritable fountain of light, and then they go on and brighten the world in other ways, and I had a little part in that. Oh, that's awesome. And even for being a person um, that's experiencing one of your workshops and seeing someone else transform, I mean, some of the, that's why I love hearing your stories so much, because it's great to maybe talk about a theory, but to actually say, uh, this woman was here, experienced this, and now she's here, gives me the belief that, gee, if she did that, I can too. Sure. Yeah, The um, one of the stories I share about that is one of the founders of Helping Parents Heal. Her name is Elizabeth Boisson, and her son, Morgan, was on a uh, college field trip into the Himalayas, and uh, high-altitude and he um, threw a blood clot and was dying. And his uh, fellow hikers got a cell phone to his ear. And of course, he couldn't talk, but connected with his mom, Elizabeth, in Phoenix. And so Elizabeth was saying to him, we love you. We'll see you again. We know you'll be with us. Don't be afraid. Follow the light, all that. Well, all of a sudden, she felt a big hug. And he was a big guy. Uh, she felt a big physical hug. And she knew that he had just passed. And then the, the other hikers told her, we're sorry, he just died. Three, three days later, she started her plans on creating a new um, bereaved parents group. She was familiar with Compassionate Friends. She went to the meeting and saw that yeah, it was good, but she didn't feel like it addressed the, the spiritual aspect as much. So there was too much focus on, oh, we're sorry, that's so horrible. And so... That's one um, person I use an example of how it can be. You know, it's like anything else in life. We always, at any moment, we can take the high road or the low road. We can see the glass is half full or half empty. And people like Elizabeth uh, saw, okay, I'm going to honor. I, you know, I never wish this would have happened, but it has. And I'm going to honor his life. So now there are over 7,000 members, 35 chapters in the U.S., Canada, and now in the U.K., and look at the ripples that have been created by Morgan's death. And as you, as your um, saying goes, he wasn't a victim. He wasn't a helpless victim. He was a strong soul who created that scenario. He said, I want to come in and make the biggest impact on earth I can. How can I do that? And he certainly has pulled it off. And I know, too, um, being in victim mode doesn't feel good. Being of service feels fantastic. <laughs> It really does. Mm -hmm. Our time's going by quick. It's almost over, Dr. Mark. Any closing words, anything I haven't asked you yet that you're burning to share? You're just delightful to listen to. Really, you are. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I would just say to people to take a little time and energy. I know there are so many distractions out there and there's so many superficial things you can get caught up in, but uh, it's truly worthwhile to study some of this information, whether it's soul proof or elsewhere, so that you know the evidence, number one. Uh, two, take some time for what are called centering practices. That could be meditation, prayer, time in nature, uh, breath work, anything that helps you quiet the mind and realize that God is not asleep at the wheel, that the universe really is working beautifully, that that life truly is a totally safe, meaningful, and magnificent adventure amidst forever. So first, know the evidence. Secondly, internalize. And then three, as you just, you just use the word, serve. Look at how you can serve. How can you transform every aspect of your life for the better, your health, your relationships, your life work, and so on. And then how can you brighten the corner where you are? One of the, um, another mother who just touched me so much, she said, uh, I just thought I would die after my son passed, and I just thought I couldn't stand it. She said, I decided to start helping in a soup kitchen each week. <clears throat> and she said, every meal I give out to a homeless person, I visualize my son's face, and I silently re repeat his name. That's taking the high road. That's choosing, because it is a choice to to go with the higher energy. So that's why I encourage people to do. And then that's when you start 
having heaven on earth, which is what we're here to do. Oh, really great. Really great. And I love to become, you can either become bitter or better and take the high road and become mm-hmm. better. And you just never know what miracles are waiting to happen. And I know from living my life, I would have never dreamed that I'd be where I am doing what I'm doing. And it took a heck of a lot of suffering to go through. But again, looking back, I wouldn't change a thing, Mark. Not a thing. Yeah. Not a thing. Well, all that being said, it's time to bring this episode to a close. I want to thank our fabulous (laughs) guest, Dr. Mark Pitstick. I want to thank you, our listener, for taking some time today and listen. Really do appreciate uh, both of you being here, all of you being here. And for our listener, also take the time, go to wedontdieradio.com. This is episode 103, hard to believe, but there's lots of other episodes you can listen to and download. And of course, all of Dr. Mark's information, including some of the things and people that he recommended, I have a link to on his Uh, page here on episode 103. I also want to encourage you, if this episode's made a difference for you, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, leave a review on iTunes or on YouTube, however it is you listen. Believe it or not, your voice matters. And if you like something, chances are someone else will as well. And on wedontdieradio.com, you can also click on Uh, join the Insiders Club and as a gift to you there's a complimentary copy of my book We Don't Die and also an audio called How to Survive Grief which if you are in the grieving process right now it'll help you get some understanding and also some tools to ease the pain. So in closing, this is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe with all my heart that life is an education for our souls and that our lives here on earth are very, very important. And remember, like Dr. Mark said, the toughest times of your life can bring the greatest growth to your soul. So I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.